Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the August 26, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and also joining me here in the studio, as usual, is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Here's what we have planned for you today. We're going to continue our Intervention for Gary Johnson Voters series that we started last week. We're going to address a number of the arguments that were raised both during the show last week that we really didn't get a chance to to get to, and several comments also that were made at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. Then we're going to talk about the issue of energy subsidies and the related issue of green jobs, and I'm hoping that we're going to have Deborah around to talk about that because she had a piece that was published, I believe, at Fox News on on the issue of green jobs, which is really nice. And then at the end, I'd like to discuss a couple of a little bit more positive topics, although one of them has a very sad note to it, Apple and Neil Armstrong. So that's what I've got planned today. I invite those of you who are attending live to call in. If you want to weigh in on these topics, it's 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And if you call in sooner rather than later, then we have more time to actually handle callers during the show. But, of course, do be on topic when you call in. So let's go ahead and continue our intervention for Gary Johnson Voters Series. If you didn't listen last week, you don't really know what we mean by intervention. But in essence, what we are hoping to do for people who think that they might want to vote for Gary Johnson is paint a very vivid picture of what it would be like to put Obama in for another four years. Because in essence, every vote that you take away, I mean, I assume that people listen to this show that their option, if they're not going to vote for Gary Johnson, would be that they would be voting for Romney Ryan. Okay, so if you're thinking of voting for Gary Johnson over Romney Ryan, you're in essence giving advantage to Obama. And we just want to make it very clear what that would be like. And we're going to go through a variety of issues. So, um, you know, this week, like I said, we're going to do energy subsidies and green jobs and just give you a, a little picture there. Last week, we had a caller, Daniel, who's called into the show a few times, and he sort of had a free-flowing discussion. I tried to pin him down. What are your arguments for voting for Gary Johnson? So I got a number of arguments from him, and then I also, like I said, got a number of arguments that were made at my blog at DontLetItGo.com, which, by the way, is the place to make comments about the show. So you go to DontLetItGo.com to leave comments. In terms of Daniel, he said, first of all, he didn't trust Romney Ryan. And I'm just going to take these arguments in order, right? I'm just going to go kind of chronologically as the arguments were presented to me. Uh, Daniel said he didn't trust Romney Ryan. Now, trust. I mean, I, I don't trust politicians in Same. general, yeah. right? Same here. So, I mean, when you're talking about politicians, 
I, I don't know that you can look at one or the other and say, well, the reason that I'm not voting for this politician over that politician, at least today, is because I don't trust them. I, mean, I don't trust people in general, but especially politicians. <laughs> I mean, especially. Yeah, po- po- usually politicians, we have a, a hefty amount of skepticism. And then if you think about, well, how much do you trust Obama? I know. <laughs> ver- versus versus I mean, well, a Romney know, Ryan. You trust him to try to destroy the country. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Be, you know, because again, this, well, and, and that, that really is the point, And that's really the point of a quotation that I would like to read to you here. Uh, By the way, I'm going to be quoting today extensively from a nice collection of Ayn Rand uh, article excerpts that are collected. They were collected by Burgess Laughlin at his blog. And his blog is... Thanks, Burgess. Yeah, thanks, Burgess, for this. AristotleAdventure.blogspot.com. And he has a post that he put up January 18th of this year, and it's uh, entitled Ayn Rand on Selecting a Presidential Candidate. And he goes through a number of select quotations. So let me just give you a little selection here. And in one of them, which we did talk a little bit about last week, but in particular, I want to bring up this trust issue. She was talking about the alternative, which ended up happening in 72, I believe it was, Nixon versus McGovern. And the issue was, are you going to be choosing between incommensurate evils? You have to choose which is the lesser of the two evils. And Burgess writes, he says, sometimes both major candidates are philosophically unqualified, but one represents a short-term grave danger, a danger so great that even subsequent free elections are threatened by his becoming president. Ayn Rand wrote about one such situation, the electoral conflict between Nixon and McGovern. Now, here's the quote from Ayn Rand. She says, I'm not an admirer of President Nixon, but I urge every able-minded voter to vote for Nixon as a matter of national emergency. This is no longer an issue of choosing the lesser of two commensurate evils. The choice is between a flawed candidate representing Western civilization and the perfect candidate of its primordial enemies. And last week I talked about the fact that I thought we were in a similar situation today. Then she says, If there were some campaign organization called Anti-Nixonites for Nixon, it would name my position. She says, the worst thing said about Nixon is that he cannot be trusted. And she says, which is true. So she's saying he can't be trusted, but nonetheless, she's advocating voting for him, right? He cannot be trusted to save this country. And I don't think we're trusting Romney Ryan to save the country, right? She says, but one thing is certain. McGovern can be trusted to destroy it. Yeah. End quote. And, and this, this and she felt that way about McGovern. Imagine how she would have felt about Obama. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've got to think that Obama's got to be worse than. Well, he's the worst ever. Anything McGovern would have been. So that issue of trust, I, I just threw out the window. Now the next thing that he said was that he thought that Romney Ryan, and I think in particular he's pointing to Paul Ryan because. At least Romney has a reputation in the past. Although I, 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 don't, I don't think you can pin anything on Romney. No. It's really bizarre. He's a but, real politician. But, but, yeah, but, but in the past he's run as a moderate. And he uh, Daniel is worried about Ryan's record on civil liberties and social issues. And we've discussed Paul Ryan's positions on abortion in particular. I'm sure he's no fan of, of gay marriage either. So the social issues question, here's the question, though. Now, again, I am on the premise that 
your only real options in this election, the only, it's going to be one of two outcomes. It's going to be Romney Ryan or it's going to be Obama. I don't know that Obama's so great on social issues no, either. He, well, he's not. He's against individual rights. I mean, in general, but all all his policies are against us. Right. Right. And, and in terms of civil liberties, I mean, what has the TSA done? What has been happening with privacy under Obama? Obama has been very cozy with our friend Mark Zuckerberg over at Facebook, oh, yeah. and the Obama campaign is heavily integrated into Facebook. I'm just, and I know now that under the Obama administration that the federal government has backdoors into Google and Facebook. So if you want to talk about civil liberties and stuff, you're going to get just as much under Obama. It might be different things. And there's the issue of what can a president today, after Roe versus Wade is fairly settled law, actually do uh-huh. on, on the issue of abortion and everything else? And would they make that their top priority either? I, I'm not really sure that they would. And if it's just an issue of condemning uh, Paul Ryan for being against abortion, you know, there are a lot of Americans against abortion. You know, would you condemn, you know, Americans in general, religious Americans who are against abortion? They're all right. evil. No, I wouldn't do that. Right, right. And that was one thing that, that Daniel said during the show. Or, yeah, you he know, was very passionate. He said, Ryan is evil. He, and Obama was he, just, he, had a, he had a lot of emotion behind that, whereas Obama was just a Peter Keating. A, a Peter Keating. Now, first of all, Peter Keating's bad anyway. But, sure, but he's but not. But I think Obama is much worse than a Peter Keating. Of course. Obama, I mean... In, I mean, in, he's he's almost like Tui, but he's not smart enough. You know, he's not... Right. And he's more like uh, uh, Wesley Milch. I mean, he, I mean, he really is. Yeah. I mean, he, he literally is out there on the bully pulpit speaking explicitly against American values. Right. That's what Obama is. He is way worse than just a Peter Keating who's out there just... I mean, I would I would say if anyone's a Peter Keating in this election, it's more of a Romney... Yeah. With, you know, yeah, true. There, there's Absolutely not right. there's not much to Romney. True. He wants to be elected. He's not here to destroy us. Peter Keating would never, you know, be here to destroy us. I guess, I guess he wants to, he wants to get ahead over others and cheat I, and I, lie. I think I think Romney's slightly better than a Peter. Keating. At least in my mind, <laughs> I think he's he, he's he's totally wrong. But That's I think an argument. He's, I think he's slightly better than a Peter Keating. But I mean that that would be the one I'd pick out of the of those three. Biden, I don't think is mentally there enough no. to be called a Peter Keating. No, <laughs> absolutely but, not. Um, in any event, so so I just this idea of Ryan is evil. Oh, yeah. Ryan is clearly mistaken. Of course, but the 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 passion behind how evil Ryan is, I I don't know. There's don't clearly there's clearly some terrible things that Ryan is in support of, but I separate that. I think that he is really this honest Catholic yeah. who's struggling to reconcile various of his ideas and his premises are horribly mixed and he's wrong. And, but know, I, he's, I wouldn't I wouldn't put this evil and, and, you know, label and, on and him. he didn't throw Rand under the bus like he's being accused of. He still respects Rand, he still respects her work. He doesn't agree with her fundamentally. And, you know, we could look at that and say, Oh well you have to agree with her with everything. Well, he is a Catholic. Right. And that was one thing that I thought was really interesting. There was um when there's a there's a heading in this entry, this blog entry of Burgess, and the heading is a voter voters range of choices. And uh, Rand writes that often, particularly in recent times, a voter chooses merely the lesser of two evils. And then she says, you know, there are many forms of protest open to us. If there's an unacceptable candidate nominated, we can vote for you know, a write-in candidate of our own, vote straight Republican, leaving the presidential and vice presidential spaces blank, vote for a mixed ticket, 
vote for any Democrat who is not fully committed to statism. This That would exclude Obama. She says, or not vote at all. But she says, we cannot vote for the proposition uh, that we as advocates of capitalism are lunatics uh, or for the candidate who so regards us. And that is one thing that's clear. Okay, so and that's the end of the quote, sorry. But um, that's one thing that's clear today is that Paul Ryan does not regard us as lunatics no. at all. He thinks that Rand made important contributions and he distanced himself from her in a polite way. And he's learned a lot from Rand. Yeah. And it, it made him better. So I we we're in a, a different, you know, kind of era here. Yes. You know the Republican candidates who are up there, they they reject objectivism, but they don't regard us as as lunatics. So it's not that you couldn't vote for him. Okay, so that's uh, civil liberties, social issues. Look, if we can't get an objectivist to vote for, we should never ever vote an Islamist piece. Yeah, that's right. Um, he says Democrats, the Democrats can't destroy the economy in four more years. Yeah, you know it might be bad, but they can't destroy the economy. I don't know that that's the total standard. I mean, Greece's economy isn't entirely destroyed. It's right. just very, very <laughs> crippled. Clean. So, and Obama can't destroy the economy. No. I mean, and, and, and here, here's the thing. I mean, we're just going to keep presenting over the next weeks, you know, all the different things that Obama is going to do towards destroying the economy based on the evidence of what he's already been doing in the exactly. past. And if he, and, with, without you know, any, if, any check. If your standard is whether the economy is going to be entirely horribly destroyed in four more years, I mean, all I can do is point you to experts who are doing all sorts of doomsaying, some worse than others. Right. But, I mean, the one that I regard as the most level-headed, which is Jerome, oh, he yeah. takes this danger of four more years of Obama policies very seriously. Just today, I saw a headline, and I didn't want to go too deep into it, but um, you know, the, it's the issue of the new quantitative expansions and stuff. Uh, Obama wants more quantitative right. expansion, which means inflating the way the value of our money again. Right, right before the election. Right, right, right before the election. Huge taxes that could go into effect right after, all all sorts of horrible things. So, I mean, if you want to say, well, it's not going to be completely destroyed, so, you know, what doesn't kill us will make us stronger or something, I don't know, that might be your standard. <laughs> but I would rather vote for the candidate that is going to buy us time without getting us over the cliff towards going to another dark age. Uh Here's the issue. There's another one that he brings up. He 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 would enjoy voting for somebody with whom he agrees. I would enjoy that too. I, I'd enjoy voting for someone that I agree with. But what what, too. Are, what are the options? But here? I mean, what what is my goal when I go to a voting booth? I mean, a voting booth is not a tanning salon. <laughs> no. A voting booth is not a vacation destination. As a matter of fact, I expect to have to drink alcohol in order to vote because I mean, I'm not going to be happy about how I'm voting. That that's not what, I'm, feel, not, I'm not trying to enjoy myself no, by voting. The only thing that would make me feel good on election day is if Obama loses. Yeah. That's the only thing this year. That's it. So I, I don't see I great. You, know, you know, that you're going to enjoy yourself, that that's, that's really the standard, that that makes it therefore the thing that you're going to... Uh, you know, judge your vote on. Then there's this issue of Johnson can win. Mm. And he, uh, Daniel, and then some other people at the blog, too, were saying, go ahead and let Johnson be part of these debates. Like, if you let Gary Johnson into the presidential debate, who will let him? 
He's going to sway everybody. He's going to make both candidates look horrible. He's had his chance. And Blew it. He's, he's, he, I, first of all, I don't think he did that well in the in the Republican no, debates, and that's why he's now got to be the Libertarian candidate, because he didn't do a good job. There were plenty of people there that he could wipe the floor with on and various he issues. Able to. And he didn't even do it. And and my the example that I keep bringing up of, of how poorly he held himself was the early debate it was moderated by somebody sympathetic, yeah. and they gave the softball question about you know things that you've accomplished in your life, and he clearly should have immediately brought up his mountain climbing, yeah. and it just completely was out of his mind. His and mind went blank, has, and the moderator, moderator had to feed him. it to him. Also, so. one thing about about him being able to win, you know, what was he? Uh, he, he, he was governor. Was he running? He ran as a libertarian when he was, when he was governor, right? He ran as, as libertarian. Oh, and that, that that's exactly the other point yeah. you're reminding me. This is excellent. In New Mexico, right? So so Daniel says, well, you know, New Mexico is a democratic state, and Johnson won in a democratic state, so therefore that proves that he can win in the country nationwide. He ran in New Mexico as the Republican. Yep. He was as the alternative. As a viable alternate. I mean, yeah. not as, as, as libertarian. He would have lost. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think eventually there's going to be the ability to elect somebody who is fiscally conservative, so to speak, you know, someone who wants to cut spending in the scope of government and also is liberal on social issues. But that's just not happening right now. We're not getting those people as Republican candidates. You can, right. get, them, you can get them in New Mexico, apparently, and that, that's great. Good for them. Uh, we talked about the issue of Ryan being evil. So those those were really the arguments that Daniel brought up. And, and again, I think we just have a different idea of what you're trying to accomplish with your vote, uh, whether you're looking to trust your politician, particularly in this election. I think we have different ideas of who is actually evil versus uh -huh. mistaken. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's the division between us right now. Now then, uh, Harold kept, you know, bringing up his point, and he did it a few times on the blog. He called in last week after not listening to the show, which always annoys me. I can't listen to your show, but I'll call in. Um, he, he says, we should vote for Gary Johnson in three of the states, and that will give us the opportunity to knock out Obama without risking a Romney. So his fantasy is that neither candidate reaches the 270 electoral votes that's required to win the presidency, and then you're going to have some combination of the House and the Senate figured out. So what I want to know is, who in the world is the House and the Senate going to elect that's going to be better than Romney? Yeah. Romney is the electable candidate that has been chosen pretty much one way or another by all of the elite within the Republican Party, blah, 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 blah. How are you going to get somebody who's different or better through this fantasy at this procedure? Time, at this moment? We're, again, we're looking at who is electable. And if you want to go ahead and listen again, I don't know if you listened to it before, Leonard Peikoff had a couple of podcasts in which they pretended that Jerome Brook would be a presidential candidate. Right. And so, you know, Leonard would ask Jerome these questions, you know, that basically as a moderator at a debate or whatever, you know, asking him all these questions about his positions on issues. And the whole purpose was to show, look, 
someone as good as a Yaron Brook is just not electable right now. No. Um, who are you going to get through this fantasy of, of Harold? You're going to get somebody like Romney, if not Romney himself. So I, I think that's kind of a waste. This is the reality. This is where we are. He's the only guy who can go up against Obama and beat him. And this is, we have to get Obama out again and again and again. That's the main point this November. Yeah. And and the urgency of getting Obama out is the thing that I'm trying trying to get across to people in in this series. Let's go now to some of the comments from the don'tletitgo.com blog. Gary Johnson says Charles is taking votes away from Obama as well. <laughs> and if you remember last uh. week I cited an article in which they were saying that in certain states Maybe Obama. Now, now, here's the thing. First of all, to me, this is irrelevant because the whole question again is: I'm talking to people. I, I mean, I assume in my audience, I'm talking to people who, if they weren't going to vote for Gary Johnson, might cast right. the ballot for Romney Ryan. Right? right. So, if you tell me, well, he's taking some votes away from Obama. Gary Johnson's taking some votes away from Obama. That doesn't matter to me. I'm still no. saying. Is it good for it you to take a vote away from Romney Ryan and give it to Gary Johnson? The fact that some people might be voting for Gary Johnson instead of Obama isn't going to make me say, oh, yeah, it's good to vote for Gary Johnson. Go right ahead because you'll enjoy voting right. for somebody that you agree but with. it's unlikely that he'll take any votes from Obama. He's on the right. He's alternative on the right, but I'm sorry, he's not even a viable alternative. I mean, he's, suppose he does. Just I just, you know, but he would. I mean, maybe Obama's funding his campaign just to make sure, you know, yeah. that he takes away votes from Romney. <laughs> but you see, you see the irrelevance of the issue uh, because I'm talking to somebody who is, is saying, "Well, should I vote for Romney Ryan or should I vote for Gary Johnson?" Well, you vote, and for I'm who saying you want the fact that some Think. people, you know. It just it just doesn't make any sense to me. But, but, but what uh, I'm saying is, if you're going to vote for a guy like Johnson, you would likely vote also for a guy like Romney and Ryan. You would not vote for a guy like Obama. You would not. Usually, usually not. But I guess that they're you know again. I think I think they're also pointing to what happened in New Mexico, right? But again, there in New Mexico, you had Gary Johnson as the Republican. Okay, then there was this wonderful quote from Dennis, and I actually saw this quote making the rounds on, on Facebook because mm. somebody pulled it off my blog right. and decided it was so horrifying that they had to throw it around on Facebook. Right. Here's Dennis. He says, the day I vote Mitt Romney is the day I lose all remaining respect for myself. Maybe this country needs to go down faster instead of slower. Man. End quote. Why does this country have to go down? I don't know about you, but I don't want this country to go down. You know, this show's called Don't Let It Go. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's not just the American sense of life that I don't want to have I let go. I want the actual country to be uh, saved as well. I, you know, the whole point that, I mean. That's the, a small it, minority right there. Yeah. The, the, the question that always comes up is, are we headed irrevocably for another dark age? And then, you know, people will ask Leonard Peek off this at lectures and stuff, and then sometimes he'll say, well, I think we are, but there's a small chance. And you, you know, usually he's he's fairly negative, but he thinks that there's a chance. And the whole point is, is that if there is a chance to turn it around, if there's a chance to educate people to the right ideas such that we can actually get this country back on the right track, we want to do that. And I don't think that this country, I mean, you know, maybe this dentist, 
thinks that our country is so bad that it deserves to well, go down. Well, he, does. Or, or he thinks that it's irrevocably also, going to go down, and so let's just have also, it go faster. You know, to to link his remaining integrity on a political vote. I mean, I you know, I I question the guy's integrity. I question whether he even has. Yeah, integrity. he he, he, hasn't, put it that he way. hasn't used the word integrity, but another another have. couple of people have. And like, we'll you know, talk if about I vote for my, you know, yeah. my last remaining thread of you know yeah. integrity will be lost. He says, I will, I will lose all remaining respect for myself. It's like, wait a minute, you go on the, you know, your soul is on the line in in in, in elections. Your soul is on the line in that voting booth? I guess so. Yeah, but I mean, we're not voting for the things that we hate about uh, Mitt Romney. We're voting against the, the destroyer. Yeah. That's what we're voting against. Uh, Craig went to the blog and said he voted for Nixon back in the time that it was Nixon versus McGovern, and he regrets the mistake, but you don't know what it would have been <laughs> if you had done McGovern, so I don't know that that... And, you know, again, there's things that are different about today as well. I think that Ryan yeah, Ryan has things to be said for him that Nixon didn't have to say for him. And, and then the question is, how much influence will Ryan have? And right. on and on. But I assume that we are voting for Ryan's political future as well. Alan at the blog asks, why is economics more important than civil liberties? And again, he brings up the issue of, you know, that basically civil liberties under Romney, Ryan are going to be much worse. But I don't think civil liberties under Obama are that good. We've got the TSA privacy stuff that we were talking about. And then there's this issue of the influence of Islam on the culture, yeah. which I think could only increase under, uh, under an Obama administration. And if you want to talk about a religious ideology that destroys right. civil liberties. You Absolutely take you take right. Islam and you take how sympathetic this administration has been towards right. that ideology and you see where your civil liberties are. And for the record, uh, Paul Ryan did uh, talk about uh, the enemy in a pretty good way. He did uh, recognize it as a religious-based threat, which is important because some on the right deny that it's a religion. Therefore, they can condemn it or they say, since it's a religion, it's great. And at least he recognized that it is a religious threat. So that's good. Yeah. And and again, Alan echoes the uh, the hope, I guess. He says, I think this country might survive four more years of Obama. Mm. <laughs> okay, that's great. Let's put it Boy, to the test. That sounds like we a lot are, of fun. You know what, let's all vote for Obama and put it to the test. I know? mean, you know, let, let's just see. What doesn't kill us will make us stronger. Right. Or what we kills can have, us makes us stronger, right? What, what is it? It's been over 8% unemployment for over 40 months and, or something like that. And who like knows that. if those numbers are true? They're doing everything they can to keep it at a certain point where they don't want to go over, sure. you know, over the point of no return. So, you know, there are some lies being flown out there. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the standard for me is that not, well, can we survive four more years of Obama? I mean, what what that person is implicitly saying is that they think that the damage in terms of moving towards some sort of other horrible fate right. that would be, you know, put in by Romney and Ryan is worse than what would be under Obama. I mean, you really, you've got to make that judgment call right now because we don't have an objectivist that is electable right now. So no. you're, you're basically saying, where are we going to be buying time for our educational mission? And the fact that we might survive four more years of Obama? I mean, that's hope, right? Yeah. We, we might survive. I mean, right. you, know, you never and, know. And we, again, we really don't know because of Obama and his idea that he has more flexibility, which he does in his second term because he's not running again. No, he'll be more destructive. 
Definitely That's more. Uh, yeah. We, so, again, we're showing you how destructive he's been the first term, and then you get to extrapolate as to how destructive you think he's going to be in, in the second term. Tom, who came to my blog, and he's commented numerous times, is deeply troubled, his words, by my support for support? Romney. Support? Well, it's not support, but anyway. Yeah, for, yeah. first of all, am I supporting? My support is within a context, okay? Hmm. So it's not that I, I like Romney in any way, shape, or form. But here he says, he says... uh he says, Obama will win even if we sacrifice the integrity <laughs> of objectivists to support Romney, um, end quote. And then you've got Craig and uh, Tom basically agreeing about this. They say, you know, a vote for Johnson speaks against the two-party system, and in doing this, you are making a statement of some kind. At this time, a statement is more important than saving the country. I mean, right. that's, you know, right. I'm being sarcastic, people, just for the record. So what I wanted to bring in here is this excellent quotation that was brought to my attention by Robert Mayhew. Mayhew is the editor of the book called Ayn Rand Answers, the best of her Q&A. And he's got a Q&A, which is from a Ford Hall forum talk. And let me see if I got the date here again. It's in 1972. The talk was called A Nation's Unity. And this is from the Q&A of that. So the question to her is, what do you think of the Libertarian Party? And then she says, I'd rather vote for Bob Hope, the Marx Brothers, or Jerry Lewis. <laughs> well, Jerry Lewis is a Fountainhead fan, just for record. Bizarre. I know, I know. She says, I don't think they're as funny as Professor Hospers. Hospers, again, John Hospers, he was a professor at USC. I've actually seen him once in person. I think by the time I saw him, he was already yeah. not doing so well. He's passed away since. But he was the libertarian candidate, I guess, uh, you know, back then in 72. She says, I don't think they're as funny as Hospers in the Libertarian Party. She says, if at a time like this, John Hospers takes 10 votes away from Nixon, she says, which I doubt he'll do, it would be a moral crime. She says, I don't care about Nixon. And she says... And I care even less about Hospers. But this is no time to engage in publicity seeking, which is which all these crank political parties are doing. She says, if you want to spread your ideas, do it through education. But don't run for president or even dog catcher if you're going to help <laughs> McGovern, end quote. Yeah. So, so again, the issue was that she thought getting McGovern out was so bad that it would so be... Yeah, I mean, excuse me. Yeah, getting McGovern out was so important. It was such an imperative that to take even ten votes away for the mission of educating, or you know. So again, if you go back to Tom's comment, he says, "Let's make a statement against the two-party system." I mean, it's so subjective in a sense where I want to feel good on election day. Okay, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. And I mean, let's talk about this issue of integrity, right? I mean, what what is integrity? Integrity is loyalty in your actions to your convictions and values. It's loyalty to rational principles. So what you'd have to say is, if I go in the ballot box and I cast a vote for Romney Ryan, that I am acting against all rational principles. Right. It's like, uh, you know, it's like having religious friends being in an atheist, you are uh, betraying your atheism, right? Right. Yeah, if, you have, if, if you're an atheist who has religious friends, you're betraying your atheism. Uh, no. No. So, so, so think about uh, There's a uh, section again on Burgess Laughlin's blog, The Aristotle Adventure. 
It's called Principles versus Particular Positions. And here's Rand talking in the Objectivist Newsletter of March 1964. If the candidate has mixed premises, Ayn Rand writes, we have to judge him by his dominant trend. A vote for a candidate, now listen to this, a vote for a candidate does not constitute an endorsement of his entire position, not even of his entire political position, right. only of his basic political principles. Right. Okay? Look so at, keep, look at keep, Romney's, keep look that at in mind. Um, what you what you do is you're looking at the basic political principles that are embodied by the two sides. At the only the only two real options in this case, again, it's Romney Ryan or it's Obama. Obama we have seen is anti-American, yeah. pro-egalitarian, nihilist. He actually acts in the destruction of values, and we're going to see more him, of that. This is him, believe it or not, on his best behavior in his first term. Right. Second right. term, forget about it. Uh, let me let me continue again. This is from that same piece in the Objectivist newsletter, from it's uh, March 1964, uh, page nine, column two. Quote: If a candidate evades, equivocates, and hides his stand under a junk heap of random concretes, we must add up those concretes and judge him accordingly. If his stand is mixed, we must evaluate it by asking. And here's the question: Will he protect freedom or destroy the last of it? Will he accelerate, delay, or stop the march towards statism? Hmm. End quote. And I think that what you're going to get is a delay no. in the march towards statism under a Romney do Ryan. Mind, do you mind my uh, term? Yeah, socialism. It's, sure. it, it is socialism versus socialism. And yeah. right now we can live to an extent with socialism. We cannot live with all-out socialism, which will be the case if Obama continues. Yep, and that, that's what I think. Uh, someone named Dabriel who commented on my blog says, why vote for Romney versus Johnson if your state is solidly in favor of Romney anyway? Again, I think if you use votes to so-called make a statement for Johnson in this context, I, I really think it's a waste that we need to have people. I mean, and first of all, because I think in part because Ryan has joined the campaign, you and also because the Romney campaign, even before Ryan was announced as the running mate, was making quite a bit of hay out of the you didn't build that right. gaffe of, of Obama. I mean, Obama was incredibly revealing in the way yeah. that he misspoke in, in that speech, and we talked about that here on, on the show. You've got at least people who are in favor of the American ideal to the extent that they can understand it. Yeah, they are exactly. they they are pro American. They are not apologizing for us with our enemies. They are pro individual initiative in this country. Obviously they are mixed, but if you talk about who stands for the essence of America as best as the electable people can understand it today versus who is anti American. Uh, yeah. It, it it's just it's, it's just there's so no contest. It's it's actually, I mean, you got a guy gutting for the end of us. I mean, yeah. in a serious way, he has a, you know, I don't know. I mean, he has a and, hardcore and, hatred. And again, Ryan, Ryan makes a huge mistake on the issue of abortion and probably also on the issue of gay rights. Yeah. But he makes it on religious grounds, but he speaks in terms of individual rights. When he talks about where our rights come from, he refers to both nature and God. Yeah. He is... Uh, you know, traditional He's been made Catholic better by Rand. He's been made better. Definitely. That's a fact. Definitely. And I'm 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 so surprised that Romney picked him. 
So I, I think even in states where your state is solidly one or the other, that I would much rather this year cast the only real ballot against Obama. Right. And and here's the other thing. I don't know what Obama's got up his sleeve in terms of having the votes oh. counted in Spain and some garbage right. like that, too. Some neutral party. I, I, we, we we still have to look at that kind of stuff later. Well, this is the planning. kind of stuff that you want to avoid. Like, I'd rather stick to substantive issues. But we need to talk about stuff like Obama using executive orders improperly. Or is he going to try to do do weird things to fudge the elections? Like, yeah. for instance, the the Justice Department was suing to keep the military from voting early. Gee, put, I wonder why. You can't put anything past him. Yeah. Anything. So we'll we'll worry about that. But but what I want to do is get actually onto some of the substance of our intervention here, and I want to talk about energy issues. Last week I wanted to get to this article, but we had our our calls and stuff, which is great. And again, Deborah's on. So if Deborah, if you want to call in and talk about the energy issue, because we do want to speak about your piece from Fox News, I Had a Green Job, which is a really good piece. Uh, so the first article that I did want to talk about, I had it last week, but we didn't get to it, is the Energy Subsidy Tally. That's the name of the article. It was Wall Street Journal of August 17th. And the subtitle says, Wind and Solar Get the Most Taxpayer Help for the Least Production. And they're talking about, you know, Obama went to Iowa and he says, we've got to keep investing in clean energy. And he says, that's a choice in this election. Where are the energy subsidies going to go? And the article says, there's certainly a subsidy choice in the election, but the facts are a lot different than Mr. Obama portrays them. He says, what he isn't telling voters is how many tax dollars his administration has already steered to wind and solar power, mm. and how much more subsidized they are than other forms of electricity generation. The facts come, uh, the article says, from a 2011 report from Mr. Obama's own Department of Energy. The report is titled, quote, Direct Federal Financial Interventions and Subsidies in Energy in Fiscal Year 2010, end quote, and it identifies $37.16 billion in federal subsidies. These include special tax breaks, loans and loan guarantees, research and development, home heating assistance, conservation programs, and so on. And then there's a chart in this article. Again, you can find it at Wall Street Journal, uh, August 17th. The chart shows the assistance that each form of energy that produces electricity received in 2010. Natural gas and oil out of this 37.16 billion received only 2.8 billion. Uh Obama claims it actually got 4 billion, so I guess he lied about that. Uh 654 million for electric power, which is, you know, peanuts on the 37 whatever billion scale. The biggest winner was wind. Wind got 5 billion, and then it says between 2007 and 2010, total energy subsidies rose 108%, mm. but solar subsidies increased sixfold and winds were up tenfold. And they say the best way to compare the subsidy levels is by the amount of energy produced. But the energy report conspicuously left out this data. And the Department of Energy under Obama, you know, when they say that they aren't going to tell you 
how much energy was produced for each dollar of subsidy. They say caution should be used in calculating the taxpayer handouts, quote, relative to their share of total electricity generation, end quote. Why? Because all of these are works in progress, essentially, is what they say. And the article goes on to say that this sounds suspiciously like a political dodge because subsidies for so-called renewable energy date to at least the 1970s. So this has been going on since the 1970s, but, oh, don't judge us now. Don't judge the productivity of this now because it's just a work in progress. So they say the problem is that wind and solar still can't make a go of it without subsidies. And uh, Solyndra, they say, is, is merely the first or the most famous of the solar power failures. Earlier this month, United Technologies sold its more than $300 million investment in wind power, with CFO Greg Hayes telling investors, according to press reports, that, quote, we all make mistakes, end quote. (laughs) He added that the market for renewables like wind, quote, as everyone knows, is stagnating, end quote. And they're saying, come on, someone alert the White House. So what did they have to do in order to figure out how much dollar how you know what was the dollar subsidy per unit of electricity and unit of electricity here is megawatt hour there was actually a different institute that had to crank out these numbers because our government wouldn't give it to us right. it's the institute for energy research and they use that energy department data to calculate a subsidy per unit of electricity listen to this per megawatt hour natural gas oil and coal you know the carbon based stuff received only 64 cents. Hydropower received 82 cents, which is of the same order of magnitude, right? Nuclear got $3.14, okay, per megawatt hour produced. Wind, are you ready for wind? $56.29 per megawatt hour. And then solar. Solar got $775.64 per megawatt hour produced. So they say for every tax dollar that goes to coal, oil, and natural gas, wind gets $88 and solar gets $1,212. And they say after all the hype and dollars, in 2010, wind and solar combined produced only 2.3% of electric generation, and almost all of that was for wind. Renewables contributed 10.3% overall, but 6.2% was hydro. Hydroelectric, you know, where you just got water generating, spinning the wheel, and making electricity. That's been around for a long time, and I guess it's a lot easier to produce for less money than, uh, than wind and solar. And then they go on to say that basically, you know, the all the coal-based and carbon-based stuff that accounts for 78% of our U.S. energy production receives only 12.6% of tax incentives, blah, blah, blah. But they, they say, well, look, all of this suggests a radical idea, right? Um, why not eliminate all energy subsidies? This would get the government out of the business of picking winners and losers. And then they say mostly losers. Uh, Mr. Obama's plan to eliminate oil and gas subsidies would lower the budget deficit by less than $3 billion a year. But if they created a true level playing field in energy and got rid of all of the subsidies, that would save $37 billion. Hmm. So they would save 
over 10 times if they just got rid of all the subsidies across the board. And, you know, would Romney and Ryan get rid of all of them entirely? Probably not because they're politicians and, and they're lame. But, uh, I mean, who knows? Now, let's see. This could be Debbie. We'll see if that's who we got here. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Hey, Yay, Debbie. Debbie. So this is great because I want to talk about your piece now, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. Excellent. So I've got your piece here. It's called I Had a Green Job. And it was published August 22nd this week at foxnews.com. So congratulations. That's awesome. And Thank you. I think I think it's a nice piece, not only because it's written by you and we love you, but yeah. because it gives information behind all those subsidy figures that I just gave. And I think it brings up something that is almost more disturbing than the amount of money that's been wasted. It's the issue of what happens to the, um, you know, like the, the human spirit of engineers who are working in these fields at these so-called green jobs and who are taking these subsidies and, and you know, basically it's the only thing that makes their business viable. I I'm, I was pretty much horrified by the, the situation that you described here. So, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the article, I just want to go through a little bit here, and then I've got a question or two I want to ask you if that's okay. Um, you bet. Yeah, so so you say that not only is Romney right to criticize these, you know, green job programs, but you say the situation is even worse than anything that was suggested by Romney's criticisms, which I'm not surprised because, no, you know, no politician's going to do it as well as especially an objectivist in the, in the industry. But... Um, you went into a company, a solar company, and took one of these jobs, and you realized that the whole solar industry is based basically on a lie. And and I'm quoting from you here. You said, uh, management said we would be competitive with oil and gas if we could manufacture panels for a dollar per watt so that the cost of the panels per wattage of electricity would be a dollar each. But you said as a mechanical engineer, you knew that solar's cost was not just the panels, but also balance of system, other system components like DC to AC converters, wiring and structural mounting. And you said it's adding about $3 per watt for a best case total of $4 per watt. And then you say coal and hydroelectric systems cost as low as $2.10 per watt and $1 per watt respectively, and you said you saw no evidence during your work for the solar company that the solar's balance of system costs would decrease meaningfully. Now, uh, Deborah, to your knowledge, has there been any new innovation in solar that would dramatically decrease the cost per watt of producing solar electricity? No. No. And, and, And this, you know, $4 $4 per watt, the best case scenario, doesn't even take into account the next issue that you bring up, which is the intermittency issue. And I believe when Alex Epstein was on this show, he brought up this issue. The idea is that obviously some days it's cloudy. Even in sunny Southern California, we have cloudy times of our days. So what would you have to do if you relied on solar? You would have to store the electricity from the times that it's sunny so that you can use it in the times when it's not sunny. And that storage also costs more, right, Deborah? Yeah. Um, well, it doesn't exist right now, to my knowledge. Um, and I know of people, of, of some, some ideas people have to 
try and develop that something that can store the energy. And I think that the idea is generally to store it in the form of thermal energy using some kind of um, like fluid that can that can hold the, the the heat for a long time. But you've got all these conversion issues, and you've got a whole other system. And I'm not even clear on how they plan to implement that because they're talking about using molten molten glass or salts or something like that. It's really weird. It's just there's some startups who are kind of some more green startups <laughs> who are trying to figure out a way to make that happen. But again, there, every time you convert energy from one form to another, you don't do it 100% efficiently. So you always have losses. And then that's to say nothing of all the costs associated with that. So I imagine it would drive the cost up much further if it could be done at all. So that alone is is disturbing enough. But then when you talk about in this article, you know, again, go go see it at foxnews.com people. It's I had a green job, Deborah Sloan, August 22nd. And you talk about your colleagues and how they reacted when they basically realized that they are dependent almost wholly on government subsidies or that their success depends on whether or not nuclear is seen as horrible in the wake of Fukushima, right? So um, Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that, being around that sort of environment. Oh, it was really just uh, uh, kind of a – the culture there just got progressively more miserable, but it was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen was when my boss came into the – staff meeting the week after the Fukushima disaster or the week of it. It was, well, the the staff meeting, the first one that we had after that. Uh, We were all talking about the earthquake and everything and, you know, because that's what everyone was talking about. It was the the big news story and uh, and it was a big deal. And uh, and he sits down with this big grin in his face and says, well, nuclear is (laughs) dead. And he was laughing and chuckling and it was just like, it was like a caricature of some kind of villain or something. I mean, I couldn't even believe it. I was so disgusted by that. And, I mean, he was just so openly gleeful saying this is going to be good for us. And, and it's like, yeah. The deaths of the how many people? Well, and, and here, here's the thing, right? Suppose that the 20,000 people who died because of the tsunami, you know, the earthquake and the tsunami in Japan, suppose that those were completely because of a nuclear accident at Fukushima. It would still, right. if, if that was true, it would still be horrible Absolutely. for this guy to gloat and say, oh, great, nuclear's dead because no, of the fact that this nuclear plant did this. Indeed. But the worst thing is that it was completely unjust because none of those deaths, wow. none of those deaths were attributable to nuclear power. So, you know the the demonization of nuclear power as a result of anything at the Fukushima plant is just wrong. I mean, we went through that extensively on this show, and if anything, we saw that the plant performed admirably well. You know, given the natural disaster taking place, so I mean, it's just horrifying that you yeah had to. So I mean, you, I mean, you must have wanted to get out right away at that point. Oh, desperately. I mean, the the only thing that stopped me from quitting long before I got laid off was just the nature of the economy. And I just didn't think that it would be a good idea to just quit without having another job lined up. So I was, I was really, I had been looking for 
another job for some time. But it takes a lot of effort, and you've got to just, you know, really, like, apply for a lot of different jobs and look at a whole lot of different places. And it's almost a full-time job. Um, and so I just couldn't quite bring myself to quit before I had something else lined up. And uh, so, um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, it, and it wasn't just me either. Uh, there were the ones who really just got fully corrupted, like the, the guy who was cheering the death of nuclear and then uh, the director I also talk about in the article who was w- would would not, like I witnessed him evading me trying to, my arguments that global warming isn't real, that there's not catastrophic, some, some kind of cataclysmic devastation coming. He, he wouldn't even hear my arguments. He kind of cut me off and said, well, it would be good for us if it were real. I mean, that kind of mentality. There were, there were people, people like that who were so completely corrupted by, um, the, by the situation of solar being subsidized and, and wanting to be able to rationalize all the um, destruction that was being done. But but then there were just people who were just engineers, and they may not have really thought about it too much one way or the other, but they just were so miserable in their job because it was just a really negative culture. And, and so many of the people that were there were looking for other jobs also. I was not the only one. And and then there were, there were other economic things, um, like, so for instance, we didn't get a huge lump sum like Solyndra, and we had a lot of private venture capital money. Um, and that's a whole other issue because there's venture, ca- venture capital firms in uh, Silicon Valley who have a huge portfolio invested in green companies, and they're just really taking a hit now. Um, yep. But <clears throat> another, another. Hello? Hello. Oh, I just said that was going to be another bubble. Sometimes here on Blog Talk Radio, <laughs> callers and we we try to have a back and forth we always get messed up in the sound but i was just commenting that could be another bubble if if people realize that they need to pull the money out of these subsidies all that venture capital is going to bust as well absolutely and and i think that these venture capital firms they've been banking on the continuation of the subsidies and um it's just amazing when you look at their energy portfolios it's all green stuff yeah, and that you know, and again, the thing that struck me about your piece is, of course, I loved having the statistics behind why, you know, in terms of dollar subsidy per megawatt hour produced. I mean, I can't believe. Did did you believe that it was seven hundred and seventy five dollars per megawatt hour produced through solar or something? I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. But um, yeah, it, so there's that. Destruction of wealth, just completely bankrupt through Solyndra and, and the like. But the thing that's engineers like, you know, of course, you have your mind so much more together, thanks to having a lot of the right principles than other engineers. But you know, destroying the minds and the spirits of engineers who could be truly productive and who could make production of energy more efficient if they were doing it in the right industries. That that destruction of the human spirit, of the rational faculty of these engineers whose spirits are destroyed, I think that's even more sad. Yeah, and it's also more ominous uh, in terms of another four years of Obama, and that's a point I really wanted to make, is that this, this influence of having one's livelihood come from an an evil government act is very corrupting on people. 
and you can see it happening. And the more this happens, the more more people are going to just sort of be, uh, I don't know, corrupted beyond the point where they're going to be willing to hear um, to hear the right philosophy and to hear the truth and to support making the state smaller. I mean, there's a certain point where someone's mind has been corrupted beyond the point where they can be reached. And right. if that continues to happen to more people, then that hurts our chances of um, turning the situation around. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a situation of taking the best and the brightest and putting them all on welfare. I mean, we've all heard that welfare is destructive, but... Here, there's a sort of welfare that's destructive of the best and the and the brightest as well. There's uh, one thing we want to talk about with Neil Armstrong, so I, I do have to let you go, Deborah. But kudos again, and thanks, thank you. Thanks very much for calling in, and I'm glad that you have found a job in an environment that's truly productive, so that you can. Was creating uh, jobs for therapists. So look, it was job creation, <laughs> <That's> right? right. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll talk next time. Thanks, Deborah, very much. Uh, just in the couple minutes that we have left, I wanted to point to a couple of pieces of better news. One was that Apple this week was declared the most valuable company ever in a number of headlines that I saw. Now, when I dug into an article, I saw that this hadn't really been adjusted for inflation and that Apple actually does need to grow another 37% to beat Microsoft in inflation-adjusted dollars. Microsoft reached its peak in value way back in December of 1999, the end of December. So Apple does have a way to go, but the the fact that it is able to achieve the value of its company at, at such a large scale in today's context I think I think says a lot. The other thing I want to talk about briefly, and then Bosch will help me here hopefully, is Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, not as I think MSNBC said, not Neil Young. Uh, that was a terrible gaffe. Uh, Neil Armstrong, the first astronaut on the moon way back in 1969. He died this week, and there were a number of really nice tributes Ayn Rand, of course, wrote an excellent article called Apollo 11. It was in the Objectivist of September 1969, and she describes having attended the July 16, 1969 launch. If you go to Yaronbrook and Don Watkins' blog, which is capitalism.aynrand.org, it's the laissez-faire blog, you can see some excerpts from that article, Apollo 11, from the Objectivist, and she describes... The you know in, in the way that only she can because she's such a good novelist the uh, you know the spectacle that she saw but then she said it's not so much the work of art that you saw but she says it's a concretized abstraction of man's greatness and she says the significance of Apollo 11's triumph is not so much political she says it's philosophical specifically moral epistemological and she talks about here is man a, you know a concrete example that everybody is cheering of man succeeding 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 she says she says for once if only for seven minutes the worst among those who saw it had to feel not quote how small is man by the side of the grand canyon and that how great is man and how safe is nature when he conquers it, end quote. So again, go go read that some more. Uh, Bosch made a really nice tribute to Neil Armstrong at his blog as well. Yeah, check it out. It's at Faustin.blogspot. It's called uh, A Giant Walked the Moon. 
And just, you know, just one thing. Uh, the passing of New Armstrong reminds me how far we've fallen. Uh, I wrote and drew this, uh, this, this blog post called uh, NASA, From Full Moon to Crescent. Because under Obama, uh, NASA's new mission is to this – is, this is not an onion story. It's an actual, actual story. Check it out. Yeah, so instead of going to the moon, we're going to do outreach to the Muslim world instead. Because it's a different planet. Anyway, Neil Armstrong, a rational man of action, which you do not see very often. Incredible. That's our time for this week, unfortunately. Those of you, if you've enjoyed the show, you want to make a comment on the show, please go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, and there you will see pretty much every way of keeping in touch with me, including Amy Peakoff on Twitter. You can also join the Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. But most of all, if you are enjoying the show, please do spread the word among your friends because this counts, uh, you know, this show basically counts on word of mouth. Yep. My mouth is only so big. So if you can help, I appreciate it. Thanks very much and have a good evening.